You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. I am so excited to be here today. There's something that you should know about me. I love plants. I love house plants. And this love started about five or six years ago when I was in college. It started at a Home Depot garden center. And in true college kid fashion, I had been looking at some plants, wanting to start a collection. So I decided I'm going to go to the Home Depot Garden Center and pick out the cheapest house plant that I can find. And I'll take it back with me. It'll live in my dorm. It'll live in my house. And so I did that. I found the cheapest one that I could find. And it was mine. And I protected this thing. I took as the best care of it that I could. And that summer, I actually went um, not long after that, and I moved out to Wisconsin for a couple weeks to be an intern at the church that my sister and her husband worked at. And a couple different times, something pretty embarrassing happened that summer. This houseplant lived on their kitchen table. And my sister, she'd either come downstairs or come upstairs to the kitchen area. And she'd find me sitting at the table just staring at the plant, like just literally staring at it. She'd be like, what are you doing <laughs> just looking at this plant? And I'm like, there's really no explanation. I'm, I'm doing what it looks like. I'm staring at the plant. And what I was doing was I would just like try to study it to like notice any growth that might happen to this tiny little plant and just see if I could notice. You could argue I could have taken a picture of it, but that didn't do. I had to sit at the table and just stare at it. And over the years, my houseplant collection has grown, and I've learned about some techniques of what you can do with houseplants. And there's this one called propagation. And the idea of propagation is that you can take from plants that you already have, and you can expand your collection by taking clippings of it and replanting it. And there's two ways to do this. I brought a demonstration with me. This is one of my plants. And the first way to do this is soil propagation. And this you have to do a little prep work. You get a pot ready, you get some soil in there, and you take a clipping of your plant, and you literally just cut it. And this, you have to dig a little hole, you put it in there, and you plant it. And what's gonna happen is the roots are going to sink down. You're not gonna see growth on this for quite some time because the roots have to almost fill the pot. It's gonna look like nothing is happening for quite a bit of time. It's just gonna look like this. And the roots are going deep and they're getting strong so that they can withhold any growth that would happen above. It can't grow up before it has the ability to hold up its structure. So it's gonna look like nothing's happening. And you gotta be patient, because if you pull that out to see if the roots are growing, you're gonna kill the clipping. It's going to die, the roots are gonna rip, and you're gonna have to start from scratch. This doesn't always work, so sometimes you're patient and patient and patient, and you're wondering, is anything happening? So soil propagation wasn't really my jam. I was not getting it very often, and it was frustrating to me because I had to wait. So I learned about another type, and this is water propagation. And in this method, it's really easy. All you need is a clear glass and some water, and you just 
fill it up, and you drop the clipping in. You get the roots in there. You can shove it down, whatever you got to do. And this time, you're going to see results within a matter of days because you are now going to see what was once happening beneath the soil. You get to see the roots growing down. You're still not going to see growth in the green, but you're going to see the roots, and it's so satisfying. This worked well for me because I'm the type of person who loves quick results. I love seeing results. I love seeing the fruit of my labor. I want to know if what I'm doing is working. I want to know if I need to make changes. And I wonder if there's anyone in the room that's like me. Now, I could ask you to raise your hand. I could take a poll, but I don't think I need to. Let me go out on a limb here and say that I think I know you pretty well. I was doing some research as I was preparing for today, and I found a study that talked about Americans and gym memberships. So maybe you know where I'm going with this. But this study said that every year in January, the people who sign up for gym memberships, 50% of them will cancel their membership by the end of June. Now, if you're like me, I was like, wait, that's actually pretty good. I was really not expecting June. Six months is a pretty good effort, right, to see if something's going to work. Don't be deceived. The majority of those 50% will actually cancel it by the end of January, not even a full four weeks before they decide that they're ready to be done with it. Another example is just this past week, uh, Amazon Prime Day. Anybody make some purchases for Amazon Prime Day? It's a set of days where Amazon has huge sales, and with Amazon Prime, you can get it shipped to your house the very next day. And I love the feeling of waking up, I just ordered something knowing the package is going to be on my porch the very next day. There's something really satisfying in quick results, isn't there? We love instant gratification. And I think this applies to us in the, specific, or in the general, right? Like, those are funny examples, but I think it applies in the specific as well, in our communities and in the church and in our families and in our own personal stories. Some examples of this, one might just be faithfulness. Maybe you struggle with faithfulness, that you have a quickness and good intention to sign up for things quickly, whether that be in church serving or in your families or in schools, but there's a lack of commitment, like there's an, a lack of, a, of an ability to stay committed to those things for a long period of time. For me, an area that I can see this happen in my life sometimes is in my Bible reading. It's a hard habit to keep, right? So I'll ask, like, do you or have you ever had a consistent Bible reading habit? And if the answer is no, there's no shame there, but have you ever stayed committed to it long enough to see if there are real results in your life, see if something can actually change in your life. And this can apply in many different ways, this idea of quick results, right? But the point is we have a problem. And I don't think the problem is just in our desire to see quick results, but it's more in our reaction when we don't have that. What's our response? Mine, candidly, is to find my own way, take things into my own hands, and honestly, it's frequently to just quit, to give up, cancel the gym membership, if you will. <laughs> but a challenge, what if instead of living a life focused on quick results, we dedicated our lives to planting seeds that we trusted God to grow? 
What if we lived as if God can multiply things stronger and steadier in his time than I can on mine, on my own time? This is not my own idea. I'm not going to take credit for this. I'm actually pulling straight from the words of Jesus. We've been going through a series called Kingdom Culture, where we've been looking at the different parables of Jesus, the different stories that he told to his disciples, his friends, and to the multitude in the crowds. Um, And today, we're going to be looking at another parable. This is the parable of the mustard seed. You may or not be familiar with this, and this story is found in multiple of the Gospels, but the one we're going to be reading out of today is found in Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32, and in that, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden. And it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So there's a lot there. So for me, I like to break things down, right? And in this, I see two major sections. In the first section, I see this idea of a small seed growing up and becoming a large tree. And in the ancient Near East, when Jesus would have been sharing this parable, he would have been telling it, people were very familiar with a mustard seed. There was a lot of farming. There was a lot of tending to gardens. People would have known what a mustard seed would have looked like. They would have known it's tiny. It's a tiny, tiny seed. But today, people don't carry around mustard seeds in their pocket, right? People aren't as familiar with this. And through time, we've had some understanding of plants and seeds all around the world. And so two major red flags are raised for people when they read this parable today. And the first one is that the mustard seed is actually not the smallest seed. Awkward, right? Uh, It's not the smallest seed. And also, mustard does not become a tree. It becomes something that you put in a yellow bottle and you put it on your hot dogs or your hamburgers, right? (laughs) No, but the, the mustard seed is not the smallest and it doesn't become a tree. And so there's a question raised, like why is it being told in this way? Is it to be deceptive? And the answer is no. In this parable, Jesus is speaking proverbially, which means that he was speaking to this crowd and they would have known what the true intent of what he was saying was. And so I want us to take a quick look at the context of this verse. And to start, it's easiest if we look at the word mustard here. So the word in its original language was sinapi. Can everybody say sinapi? Sinapi. And this is a general word for mustard, or it's a catch-all word for similar flora. And so scholars believe that there are two possible actual plants that Jesus could have been talking about in this parable. So I bet you didn't know you were getting a botany lesson today, but here we go. The first option is called Brassica nigra, and there's a picture here. Now that's not a tree, right? (laughs) That looks more like a wildflower, right? That doesn't look like an oak or a maple or a pine. It looks like a flower. And this comes from a tiny, tiny little seed and it's sometimes spread on a hillside, and it grows into this flowery-looking plant. And the other option that Jesus could have been talking about is called the Nicotiana glauca. Here's a picture of this. Now, this looks more like a tree, but to call this a tree, I think, would be generous. Um, But it does get a little branchy, right? And it can grow several feet tall. It's nothing big. But either way, 
This also comes from a small seed. So it's these small, tiny little seeds planting either of those things. And so whether it's option one, these tiny seeds spread over a hillside, or option two, one that grows into a tree several feet tall, they come from tiny, tiny little seeds that look like this. Now, that's not a plate. That's a penny. Like those are seeds, a bunch of them spread out on a penny. That, those are tiny little seeds. And everybody listening to this story that Jesus was telling right then and there would have known that the point he was trying to make was this, that the mustard seed has an incredible capacity for growth. It has an incredible capacity for growth. And even better than that, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And that's pretty incredible. But I think it's more incredible when you understand what the kingdom of heaven is. So I wanted to show you, it's a pretty big theological idea, but I love this description of the kingdom of heaven because it really simplifies it. It's that the kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. And this has an incredible capacity for growth. The kingdom of heaven is one of small beginnings, but it has this capacity for growth. But despite the seed's incredible capacity for growth, you cannot rush it along to grow any faster than it will. Jesus, I think, really was the best example of this. He never hurried in his life. He never hurried in his ministry. He displayed what it looks like to not rush, to not hurry. The kingdom of God is not a quick result kingdom. I wish it was, but it's not. To refer back to this example, the kingdom is not a water propagation kingdom. It's not quick results. It's not fast. You don't often get to see what's happening below the surface. It's more like a soil propagation kingdom. Things happening below the surface, things happening that you do not see. You can't rush it. You can't pull it out too early to see what's going on below the surface. You have to wait. You have to wait for results, and you may not even ever see results on this side of heaven. It's a soil propagation kingdom. It starts in the dark soil. It has to sink into the deepest parts until it becomes something strong enough to hold up what will finally be visible. I love this quote, and it says this. It says, new life starts in the dark. Whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, a savior in the tomb, it starts in the dark. But it hurts to wait, right? Waiting is difficult, and it can be really, really painful. Waiting to see what will come of the seeds God is asking you to plant is a difficult process. I'll candidly share what this looks like in my life right now. I see this frequently popping up in my life in the area of my singleness. I'm a 24-year-old girl, not married, not dating, and I come, from, I come from a family of two sisters and a mom who were married at the age of 20. Now, being the youngest, I looked at that and I was like, that's how it's done. Pretty easy. <laughs> you just get married. And then when I went to a Christian university where the catchphrase is ring by spring, I was like, perfect. It's going to be the place for me to find my person. And then 20 years old came and it went. And nothing. 
and 21 and 22 and 23, and here I'm at 24. Four years of waiting for what I thought would come. And in this time, I felt like God has been asking me to figure out what my story will be then. If it's not going to be right now, having a family, starting a family, getting married, then what are the seeds that he's asking me to plant? And in that, I've seen the beauty of my singleness. I've seen it through being able to go abroad for six months to South Africa to do missions, to go to Nicaragua for four months and and get to serve in communities, being a youth leader here at the church and getting to go to dance recitals and choir concerts because I have no time commitments. I don't have a family waiting for me at home. I get to go to these things. I've seen the beauty of my singleness, but it doesn't mean that weekly, if not daily, I don't look at my life and wonder why this is the garden I've been given to tend. It's difficult to wait. Where are you waiting on the Lord? Where do you feel the weight of your waiting? There's a hope, you know. There's a hope in the seeds of the kingdom. And the hope is this, that there will be a time when the growth will be impossible to ignore. When you won't have to sit at a table, a kitchen table in your sister's house, looking at the plant, staring at the plant, and just pretending almost that you can see growth because it hurts so much to wait. One day, with the kingdom seeds, it will be impossible to ignore. The waiting is hard, and patience to see the seeds sprout is really, really difficult. But there will be a day on this side of heaven or the next, where you will see the growth. I find hope in that, and I find hope by looking at Scripture. There are so many people in Scripture who had to wait and had to struggle through their waiting. An example I think of is Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise from God that a great nation would be made of him, this offspring, and and that God asked them, him and his wife Sarah, will you go to a land that I haven't even actually showed you yet, that I will show you, will you go, and I'm going to make a great nation of you, 75 years old. And it wasn't until he was 100 years old that God fulfilled that promise, 25 years of waiting. And not to mention, they did not do a very good job of waiting. (laughs) They tried to rush God's plan. They tried to rush God's process, and it only made their story more messy. If you read it, you'll find that. Another example I think of is the Israelites, God's chosen people in Egypt as slaves. And they're just working as slaves, and they want to leave, and they see God making a way for them to do so. He's doing miracles, and they're like, okay, I think this is our time. So they start to leave, and as they come up to the sea where, where it's them and it's, it's stopping them from leaving, God splits it. And they're like, okay, this is our chance. We're going to go. And they watch God split the sea. They get to the other side of it, and then what? They wander for 40 years. And I can just see them. I can just hear their thoughts. Them in the wilderness through all of this waiting saying, God, you asked us to plant these seeds 40 years ago. And we did it. We did what you asked. We had the faith. But now it's been so long. Where are you? 
Will you do what you said you will do? The waiting causes us to ask questions like that, and it's hard. And as the Israelites wandered and as they waited, they even thought to themselves, we would rather go back. We'd rather go back to Egypt, and we'd rather be slaves again as opposed to sitting here and waiting. That's how difficult the waiting is. It's really, really hard. Even longer than those 40 years is the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. And that lasted 400 years. And it was the time between when, Jesus, when God promised that he would deliver a Messiah, that he would, he would send a Messiah to deliver his people, to be their savior. And for 400 years, he said nothing. He did nothing. The people waited with no sign of a Messiah. 400 years waiting on God to do something. It's a long time, and now we wait for our Savior. We are always waiting, it seems, huh? We're in good company with people in Scripture who had to wait as they planted seeds and as they struggled to see something sprout in their waiting. So this is the first section that we see in this parable, and it's this small seed becoming something big, right? And as you move forward, you see the second section, which talks about birds coming to the tree and making nests in its branches. And to me, I really like this section because this is all about our why. I love knowing the why. And this breaks down why we plant seeds and why we wait. And it buckles down to this. We plant mustard seeds of the kingdom so that our community, families, friends, and the world can see what God causes to spring up. We plant seeds in dark soil. We don't take shortcuts. We plant in dark soil so that others can land on its steady branches, that those who land on its branches might feel the real rest that comes from what God had grow up, and that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here's the truth. You're always planting seeds. You're always planting seeds in every single second of every single day. Whether you know it or not, you're planting seeds. But what are the seeds that you're planting? There's an author by the name of Andy Andrews, and he's a motivational speaker. And about 10 years ago, he did a TED Talk of sorts, and it went pretty viral. And this is on the idea of the butterfly effect. So if you don't know what the butterfly effect is, he introduces it, and he, it's a true story. There was a scientist in the early 1900s that presented this idea called the butterfly effect that said that a butterfly could flap its wings on one side of the earth, and on the other side, with a series of events with a falling of dominoes, and it would start a hurricane on the other side of the world. And it was crazy, right? Like, that doesn't seem scientific at all. But it was so crazy that it stuck around for a while. People started to investigate this and look into it. And through time, scientists found that it actually worked. It's actually accurate. And it works every single time. But not just with butterflies. It moved with all moving matter even people. And in time, it was actually given the status of a law. That's how accurate it is. Like the law of gravity, it was given the status of a law. And it's known today as the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. And the author uses this story as an example 
of how people impact people. And the big idea that he introduces is that everything you do matters to everyone and forever. You're always planting seeds, but what are the seeds that you are planting in your life? If you were to reflect and you were to think about your life, are you planting, if you struggle with, let's say, addiction, are you planting seeds of addiction or are you planting seeds of breakthrough? I know that addiction plagues every community. It doesn't discriminate, but I see it here. I see it in this community, and I see that it's a long road. It's a long cycle, but what are you planting? Do you take shortcuts? Do you look at the small picture, or do you look at your life and see it as a legacy? See it as something where you can be planting seeds for generations that will come after you so that they never have to deal with the struggles that you face in your addiction. What are the seeds that you're planting? I want to encourage you because we as a church believe that seeds of breakthrough happen in community, which is why we're starting a group this fall for people who are struggling with these addictions so that you can plant seeds of breakthrough, that you can invite people into your life so that you can change the legacy, that you can change the cycle of those who will come after you. It's a long-term game. Plant the seeds in the soil. What about unforgiveness versus grace? Do you plant seeds of unforgiveness? When you look at your life and you see the ways that people have wronged you or the things that you know that you have done wrong, do you plant seeds of unforgiveness or grace based off the forgiveness you've already received through Jesus Christ? How about gossip, anger, lashing out? Do you plant those seeds or do you plant seeds of self-control? How about despair and hope? There's a real temptation from a very real enemy to have you live your life hopelessly, to look at your life and have no hope as you think about the waiting, as you think about the suffering, as you think about the hardship. Do you plant those seeds or do you, do you plant seeds of hope? Jesus is our hope. Plant those seeds. Jesus showed us what it looks like to live out this parable, the parable of the mustard seed. He showed what it looks like to live it out flawlessly. And for him, it started in a garden. Days before he knew he would be crucified. Him sitting in this garden, wrestling with the Father, asking, is there any other way? And even so, choosing to go to the cross, trusting that that was a mustard seed with a capacity for growth. And when it, when it sprung up, that it would branch out so that we as the birds could land on its branches. And as he's on the cross, he looks out at the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the ways that they will wrong us. And he breathes his last. And like a seed, he's planted in the ground. And at the right time, not right away, not instantaneously, but at the right time, three days later, he bursts forth from the ground. What are the seeds that God is asking you to have the faith 
to plant in your life. I want to invite the band to come back up. And I want to challenge you to think about your life and how it could be impacted if you intentionally planted the seeds that God is asking you to plant. If you believed that through the struggle, through the waiting, that God could multiply the harvest and sprout branches from your life that you and others could find rest in. I'm going to challenge you as we end today to think about this fall. I know summer is like right in the middle of it. It's in the beauty, like it's right in the good part of summer. But I want you to just think about fall for a second. You've got a couple weeks and I'm going to challenge you over the next couple of weeks before fall to spend these weeks praying, praying about the seeds that God is asking you to plant. Maybe it's getting help with your addiction like we've talked about. Maybe it's getting involved in a community group here at church or joining a volunteer team. Maybe it's you and your spouse deciding together to invite a counselor or a mentor into your relationship to help you to heal some wounds that have been hurting for a really long time. Maybe it's that you look at your life and you say, I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never had that and I want that. I want to start planting those seeds. I believe as I was praying over this service, I was praying over this lesson, I, I just really believe that there are seeds sitting in this room that if planted could change generations, could change lives of your lives and the people around you. What you do matters to everybody and forever. The seeds that you decide to plant matter. So I challenge you to pray diligently about what your seeds are that you need to plant this fall. And not just pray about them, not just plant them, but tend to them. Watch them carefully to see what God will do. Wait patiently and hopefully to see what it will sprout. Let's end in prayer. God, we just come before you and we, we recognize that you are the giver of gifts. And we don't just love the gifts that you give us, but we love you more than them, God. We're willing to wait. We, we, we lay down our timelines. We lay down our expectations. It's gonna be difficult planting the seeds, but God, we sit here in hope knowing that one day the growth will be impossible to ignore. God, we trust that your timeline is better than our own. We trust that you are the one who gives life, that you will sprout something out of those seeds. God, we love you, and we're so incredibly grateful for the way that you love us. In your name we pray, amen.